they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, July 2nd, the first Friday of July. And um, we want to talk today about the gospel for the day, but we want to talk about the precious blood of Jesus. In the Catholic Church, for the month of July, we observe um, veneration of the precious blood of Jesus in a particular way. We remember that Christ shed his precious blood to save us. So um, Terry's not here in studio with me today, and he's not in Studio B. (laughs) Uh, He's babysitting, so... Anyway, we will begin, and and remember that it is First Friday. Try to spend time with our Lord, meditating on His passion. That uh, The saints have said that meditating for one hour on the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ is more um, efficacious than fasting for a year on bread and water. So when we look at Christ on the cross and remember what He did for us, it moves our hearts. It moves our hearts to a great deal of love. And we begin to understand the love of God poured out for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this moves us to um, open our hearts to receive the love of God. We cannot earn God's love. We don't need to. He loves us without our doing anything. That's why he made us. We wouldn't exist if God didn't love us into being. And he continues to love us. And so um, we want to open our hearts and receive that love. So we'll begin today with the gospel of the day. We are in the 13th week of ordinary time. Numbered time, you know. We're not, we're not, uh, what do you say? We're not, not observing a particular season. It's not Advent. It's not Christmas. It's not Lent. It's not Easter. It's, it's the, the times, the, the numbered times in between those great seasons of the church. And so um, this is the 13th week. And we have a reading here from the gospel according to Matthew. It's Matthew 9, 9 through 13. And it's the call of Matthew. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the customs post. He said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat with Jesus and his disciples. The Pharisees saw this and said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? He heard this and said, Those who are well do not need a physician, but the sick do. Go and learn the meaning of the words. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The gospel of the Lord. So in this gospel, Jesus is, first of all, he calls Matthew. And who is Matthew? Well, Matthew's a tax collector. Gee, so what? So he collects taxes. None, none of us like tax collectors very much. And in, in the course in the United States of America, there's, there's been a little bit of a controversy over this whole thing about the IRS and whatever that the, the original intent of the Constitution was that, that you could not tax the money that a man earned by the sweat of his brow. But um, things have changed. So, but the reality is, is Matthew is collecting taxes, but he's not collecting taxes for the temple. Now, I don't think that the Jewish leaders would have been opposed to Matthew so much if he had been collecting taxes for the temple. But he's not. He's collecting taxes for the Romans. 
Well, the Romans are an occupying power, and as far as the Jews are concerned, they have no place being in Israel, and they want them out. So Matthew is considered to be a traitor to his own people because he collects taxes for the enemy. Okay, So he's a sinner. By the very fact that he's a tax collector, that makes him a horrible, awful sinner. And, um, of course, he's not, not liked by the leadership of the Jews, and, and the people don't like him so much either because he is collecting taxes for them, for the, for the enemy. And, you know, it's a beautiful thing. Matthew is Matthew's looking, for, um, he's looking for fulfillment. He's looking for... There's a yearning in the heart of man, this yearning. And, and you know, we, we, the deal is we were made by God, and we were made for union with God. So this yearning within us is that yearning for union with God. Well, God is infinite. God is God and we are not. We will never be God. Not even in heaven. We will be like God. We will see him as he is. So we, we will be like him. But we won't be God. And, and we will always be his creature in humility and in receiving from him all that we are and have. And so we long for the infinite. We long for infinity. We long for eternity. We long to go on and on. We long for immortality, right? Well, oftentimes we get caught up in looking for those things in the created things of this world. St. Augustine expressed it this way. He said, late have I loved you, beauty ever ancient, ever new. He's talking to the Lord. Late have I loved thee. You were inside, the whole time. And I was outside looking for you and the beautiful things that you had made. But you called and you shouted and you broke through my darkness. And eventually, and I'm paraphrasing now, Augustine is, he says, you won me over to yourself. But the reality is, is God was inside all the time calling Augustine to union. You see, we were made for greatness. We're made for union with God. We aren't made for debauchery and sin. We were made for union with God. And so Matthew is pursuing, you know, a prestige with the Romans. He's pursuing a, a, a lucrative career where he's going to have a lot of money. Uh, but the deal is his real desire, and Jesus will discover this to him, is his is union for God, union with God. And this is often, we need to stop and pray and take time to be in silence. You know, this idea that we need the radios on all the time and we need all the talk shows and we need to know, we need to be up on every moment of the news, 24 hours a day. And even with the whole, you know, the last year with everything that's going on, the election and the pandemic and, and the worldwide crisis that the pandemic has caused. Not that the pandemic is not the disease. That's not the pandemic is a created pandemic. It was created by man and it's caused by fear. The pandemic is fear and it's, <laughs> we're all going to die. And you know what? Locking ourselves away in our home isn't going to keep us from getting sick either. We're going to die. All of us will die someday. We just want to make sure that we're in the state of grace when we die, that we're in union with God. So that when we die, we can go to heaven for all eternity and be fulfilled. And so Jesus walks up to Matthew's booth and he discovers to Matthew what Matthew's looking for. Because Jesus is God. And Jesus makes this invitation. So Matthew invites him to his home. And then, of course, Matthew's friends, because he's an outsider, he's a friend with all these sinners. 
you know, all these other people who are considered lowlifes, whom the Pharisees at one point in the Gospel of John will say, oh, this crowd, who are all condemned anyway. Well, who are the Pharisees? They're, they're condemning everyone to hell. By the way, Jesus says, judge not and you will not be judged, right? We have to be careful. In the Our Father, we say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive. We need to pray for the grace to forgive all who have injured us. And we need to ask pardon for all whom we have injured. But we need to make sure that we aren't condemning people. Okay? There is no saint who doesn't have a past. And there's no sinner who doesn't have a future. We're all sinners. We're all in this together. And God called all of us to union with himself. He calls us, he made every human being for heaven. In the book of wisdom, we read that God didn't make death and he didn't make man to die. He made man to live eternally with him in heaven. Now we still have that possibility. We have to die. That's the punishment for sin because man sinned and rebelled against God. We will die, but it's okay. Because death now becomes the door through which we enter into eternity and we come face to face with God. And if we live in his, if we live in his will, if we live in his mercy, we have no fear. There's no reason to fear. And what does Jesus say? You know, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, are, they go to the apostles, the disciples, and they're like, well, how dare you? You know, there's literally, literally what they're saying is how dare your teacher what kind of a teacher is he? Who does, what does he know? Obviously, he doesn't know anything. These people are all sinners. What is he eating with them for? Well, Jesus knows. And so he says, look, it's not the people who are well who need a physician. Sick people do. He's the divine physician. He compares himself to a physician. He can heal all the ills of our body and our soul. And he shows that. Because he goes around working miracles. Well, he heals the, the ills of the body. But remember, when he heals the ills of the body, that's the equivalent for the Jew. The ills of the body are caused by sin. So if you're sick, it's because you're a sinner. Well, Jesus comes and heals that sickness. He also has the power to forgive sins, which is a greater disease, the disease of the soul, the disease that can cause us to be separated from God for all eternity. If we die in unrepentant mortal sin, we go to hell for all eternity. Mortal sin, it has to be grievous matter. We have to know it's grievous matter, and we have to give full consent of our will to it. So if those three conditions are present and we've committed mortal sin, we need to get to confession now. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Go. And if you're embarrassed, write it down and say, Father, I've written my confession out because I'm so embarrassed, I'm afraid I won't be able to say the words. Don't allow your emotions to mute your tongue. Write it down and, and speak those words. My God, I'm sorry. You, there's nothing you can't forgive, Lord. So I come to the foot of the cross and ask that your precious blood come upon me to heal me of my sins. So Jesus tells the Pharisees to go and learn the meaning of the words. It is mercy I desire, not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus came for sinners. So if you have recognized that you're a sinner, guess what? Good. Just go to the Lord and say, I'm sorry for my sins. And I want to do your will, Lord. Because Jesus came to call us sinners to union with himself. Well, I hear that music. And Jesus is calling all sinners. And he's calling all sinners to let the pre his precious blood wash down upon them. Make them clean. 
We'll be right back with Bible with the Barbers. Don't turn that dial. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, July 2nd, the first Friday of July in the year 2021. And um, we read the gospel from Matthew, the call of Matthew uh, for today's gospel is the gospel of today. That's Friday of, of this 13th week in ordinary time. Um, and it, it leads us into today's topic that I want to talk about, and that is the precious blood of Jesus. How is it? Jesus says, I, I did not come to call those who are righteous, but sinners. And he desires mercy, not sacrifice, or mercy more than sacrifice. It's mercy he's looking for. He's looking for us to be merciful to those around us. And so um, the precious blood of Jesus, what is this and what does it mean? And is there any scriptural basis for our devotion to the precious blood of Jesus? Well, the first thing I did, and if you want to know the answer to that in the Catholic Church, the first thing you do is you look at her liturgy. And in the Roman Missal, there's what we call a votive mass to the precious blood of Jesus. And that votive mass, it's a beautiful, and, and the opening, um, um, there's an opening antiphon, an entrance antiphon for the, every mass. And the opening antiphon for the most precious, for the votive mass in honor of the most precious blood of Jesus is from Revelation 5, 9, and 10. You have redeemed us, Lord, by your blood from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and you have made us into a kingdom for our God. So the blood of the Lord has redeemed us and made us into a kingdom for our God. And then I was looking up, they have Old Testament readings, they have New Testament readings, and then they have the gospel readings. They have New Testaments that aren't gospel, and then the gospel readings. They have the book of Exodus, and they have Revelation, and then, of course, there's the Psalms. And then Hebrews and Peter and John and Mark and Luke and John are the Gospels that are options for that day. So there's all these optional readings that you could read for this feast day. And they all talk about the precious blood of Jesus. So what is this precious blood thing? Okay. And I found a good article on, um, it's actually on a, a blog called Desiring God. And I, I don't know who David Mathis is. But um, he has a, this blog, he's the editor of DesiringGod.org, and, and he talks about the precious blood. And, you know, what does this mean? Well, Jesus shed his blood, right? Well, what do we have? What is the Old Testament precedent, okay? In the Old Testament, you have this making of the covenants through blood, right? When Abraham, when God comes to, um, to Noah, after the flood, God comes to Noah and he promises he will never destroy the world by another flood. And so Noah builds an altar and he sacrifices animals. He slaughters them. He sheds their blood and then he burns them as a holocaust to the Lord. When Abraham, when God comes to make a, a covenant with Abraham, Abraham kills animals according to God. God gives him the instructions and then he waits and then a, a flaming brazier comes down between them and the animal sacrifice is consumed. And so this is, but the, the spilling of blood. So in the book of Hebrews, we have, um, it, it, Hebrews really, really builds this bridge between the Old and the New Testament. The author of Hebrews, and, and many scholars do believe it was Paul. Uh, there's good reason for that. 
And why would that letter be so different than his other letters? Well, because he's writing to the Hebrews. He's not writing to the Gentiles. So it would be very much different. And he is a Hebrew, and he has the knowledge and the background to write such a letter as Hebrews. So he bridges this gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament sacrificial system, right? So because it, it talks a lot about blood and, and the new covenant and Jesus once Jesus is once for all sacrifice in Hebrews 9, 7 and 12. It talks about that. But throughout the throughout the scriptures, blood represents life. OK, so in Genesis 9, 4, the spilling and shedding of blood, um, you have the, the 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 blood is the life principle in um and is that I think that may be one of the readings here. Let's see if I can find that real quick. Genesis. Where did I mark Genesis? Because I Oh no, it's not. It's not one of the readings for this. That's right. It, Exodus was the reading, not Genesis. So you you have the, the um lifeblood of the, the animal. But you have the blood of Abel, right? In Genesis nine, seven and twelve. I believe that's the story of Cain and Abel. And you have Cain kills his brother Abel because he's jealous. And God says to Cain, where's your brother? And what does Cain say? Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord says to him, Cain, the blood of your brother calls out from the soil for vengeance. The shedding of innocent blood. He has shed innocent blood. And so the blood of Abel cries out. And that will come into play in the book of Hebrews. Okay, in, in, um, in the New Testament, the, the scripture will talk about the, there is blood that will be shed. <laughs> the blood that is shed that speaks more eloquently than the blood of Abel. Because Abel's blood cries out for vengeance, and this is what we want to look at. So, and the spilling of blood in turn depicts death, right? Well, obviously, the spilling, because if you, you know, if, if you spill somebody's blood and you spill all of it, they die, right? And what happened? God didn't make death, but man sinned. And as a result of sin, death enters into the world. And death is the just punishment for sin. So you have the animal sacrifices and their blood temporarily is um, standing in for the blood of sinners. Okay, so in the Old Testament, they sacrifice the blood of animals and they, they sprinkle the blood on the altar and they sprinkle it on the people. And then you have um, the, the Day of Atonement where you know, the, the, the sins of the people are all put on, the, put on the goat and it goes out into the desert, but they offer sacrifice to the Lord in repentance for their sin. So the shedding of the animal's blood is, it, 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 it represents the people's will to give up their sins. And they're, 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 um, we're supposed to say to the Lord, I'd rather die than sin. I would rather die than offend you by sin. And, and we can pray for the grace to be able to do that. So, you have the sins that are taken away. And in Hebrews 10, it tells us that the blood of goats were, it was impossible for the blood of goats and, and calves and bulls to take away the sins of the people. And, and again, the high priest had to enter in year after year after year to make atonement for the sins. And it will talk about Christ as the new high priest who enters once. Okay, he enters once with his own blood. All right. So we believe and celebrate that now in Christ and under the terms of the new covenant, the reckoning has come. Jesus willingly offered himself, Hebrews 9, 14, by once for all shedding his own blood, Hebrews 9, 12, bringing to us intended completion, 
excuse me, bringing to its bringing to its intended completion the temporary covenant that came before the inaugurating in its place of the eternal covenant. So the temporary covenant was the old covenant. The eternal covenant is the new covenant in the blood of Christ. The new covenant, the eternal covenant, Hebrews 13:30, which we call the new covenant, which by the way, the eternal covenant yeah, that's linked to the writing of Paul because in the gospel of Luke, Luke is the only one who says the blood of the new and eternal covenant. But it's also the way Paul describes in Corinthians when the Lord revealed to him the institution of the Holy Eucharist. This is my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant. So Hebrews celebrates some of the specific benefits <clears throat> Christians enjoy because Jesus' blood in Hebrews 9, excuse me, Hebrews 10, 19, and Hebrews 13, 12. And in this particular article on this blog that I found by Matthew, um, Matthew, Matthew, what did I say his name was? Or was it Matthew? I turned the page over. David, uh, sorry, David Mathis. David Mathis. It's not Matthew, it's Mathis. It's his last name. His first name is David. He talks about the blood of Jesus is propitiation. Okay, it's to remove God's righteous wrath. Well, how do we know that? In Romans 3.25, it says, God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So Jesus Christ, the God-man, sheds his blood to satisfy the wrath of God. You know, sin offends God. It's an infinite offense against him who loves us infinitely. And it needs to be made up for, but only God himself could make up for an infinite offense. So God became man. The son of God became man in order to make up for the infinite offense that was committed against God by the sins of a man, by the sin of man. And the first sin, and then, of course, the sins that were added to that. Every sin is an infinite offense against God because God is infinite. And every sin is infinitely offensive. And it degrades us because we're made for union with God. And even venial sin begins to whittle away at that union with God. No number of venial sins can ever equal a mortal sin. And yes, the scripture does make a distinction between sins that are deadly and sins that aren't deadly, what the Catholic Church calls venial and mortal sin. Venial, not deadly, mortal, deadly. So no number of venial sins can ever equal to a, a mortal sin. But every time we commit a venial sin, it weakens our intellect, it darkens our intellect and weakens our will and makes it easier for us to fall into a deadly sin, mortal sin. And then justification, to extend God's full acceptance. And in Romans 5, 9, it says, we have now been justified by his blood. Justified, like a courtroom, as if, as if okay, um, here you are, you're standing before the Lord and you are, you are condemned because you're a sinner. And all of a sudden Christ comes forward and he says, I will give my life for this man or this woman. And so he pays the price that we owed. Because we owed a price that we, we owed a debt we couldn't pay, he pays the price that he didn't owe. He pays the debt for us. That doesn't mean we're off the hook, okay? And it doesn't mean we don't have to cooperate in the work of salvation. It doesn't mean, oh, well, that's it. The blood of Christ is upon me and I'm, you know, Jesus, remember Jesus said, not everybody who cries, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But it does mean that the price has been paid. And if we will strive to give up our sins and ask God for the grace to leave sin behind and then live in his grace, there is redemption for us. 
and then to purchase our true freedom. In Ephesians 1, 7, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So our trespasses are forgiven, we're redeemed, and our freedom has been purchased by the blood of Christ. But how are we going to respond? How are we going to respond? And what was the the greatest thing here? What did sin do? Sin ruptured a relationship. Remember in the garden when God made Adam and Eve and Adam walked in the cool of the day with the Lord, there was a relationship between God and man. And as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They hid themselves. They hid themselves from God. They're, now they're afraid of God. They've ruptured that relationship. So Ephesians 2.13 says, Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So at the heart of this bringing near is the restoration of humanity with the divine. So on the individual level, it is, it's the creation in Christ of personal access to a relationship with God that we, born into sin, never could have secured. We couldn't do this for ourselves. This was beyond our doing. But Christ came for us. And he didn't wait until we were righteous or even had turned to him and asked for forgiveness. He came to save the sinners. I hear that music. <laughs> this is the end of this session section of uh, Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio on this Friday, July the 2nd. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back. And again, Terry's babysitting. So this is Friday, July the 2nd. It's the first Friday of the month. And uh, we're doing a a Bible study here uh, on a topic. And that topic is the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. And um, you have the Old Testament prefigurement of it in in several places. And of course, you have the blood of Abel. And you also have the the lamb, the lamb that was sacrificed as Passover. Um, You have the sacrifices that were offered in the Old Testament, the the sprinkling of heifers, ashes, and and their, their blood. Okay. So we're, we were talking about the forgiveness and restoration of our, of our best relationship. And that is our relationship with God. God made us to be in relationship with himself. And by sin, that relationship was ruptured. And so Christ came to restore that relationship. And in 1 Peter 3.18, it says, Christ suffered once for the sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So the whole point here is that he wants to bring us back to the Father to restore us to relationship with himself. God didn't make us for death, and he certainly didn't make us to go to hell. He made us for eternal life with himself, and he didn't even make death. He, but death came into the world through the envy of Satan, and, and it is the punishment for our sin. We sinned. And when people say, well, it's not fair, it's not fair. Well, it's not fair? What was God saying to the, to, the, to, the prophet, to the Israel in the Old Testament? Israel, you say, my ways are not fair? My ways are not fair because if, if the just man turns away from the good that he's done and begins to commit iniquity, I'd say he's condemned. Whereas if the sinner turns away from his sin, I give him life. Whose ways are unfair? It's, it's the ways of man that are unfair. And we want God, just like little children. It's like, no, mom and dad, don't make any rules. Just let us do whatever we want. Well, you know what? Actually, little children who live that way are not happy. 
and and in in life they never actually grow up they never get to be fully human beings because they never grow up emotionally they always remain children infants maybe maybe toddlers maybe you know little children maybe teenagers but they never fully grow up never take responsibility for their actions and once we start telling God that he's not fair, we're, we're acting in pride, and we could also be acting out of immaturity, that we are not willing to take responsibility for our actions. Maybe it's fair. Maybe we don't believe God could forgive us. Look at the cross. Take a long, 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 hard look at the cross. And this is why we're doing this special on the precious blood of Jesus. And believe me, there is so much. <laughs> There's so many scripture passages. But Jesus also died to make peace between us and God, right? In Colossians 1, 19 and 20, it says, the God-centered aim, now it does, I'm not, this isn't, this isn't Colossians yet. The God-centered aim and the effects of Jesus' blood is confirmed in its peacemaking between God and his people. In Christ, God reconciled his people to himself. And the quote from Colossians, making peace by the blood of his cross, Okay making peace by the blood of his cross. And in the Acts 20, Paul will say to the leaders of the church, the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So Paul tells them, you have to guard the church of God. That was, you know, that's what you're, the role of shepherds, they're to guard the church, they're to guard the flock, they're to keep the flock from sin, from falling away from God. So the precious blood of, of our Lord is there. Okay, the precious blood of our Lord is there to bring us back to God. And it's there to restore us to friendship. It's there to make expiation for our own sins, to remove the guilt, to make us righteous, and um, to extend God's full acceptance to us and to purchase our true freedom. All right? So 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not by perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So we have the precious blood of Christ. Peter uses those words together. And the lamb without blemish or spot. So that harkens back to the Exodus, right? The lamb, two-year-old male without blemish or spot, whose blood would spare the people death when the angel of death passed through Egypt. So the Hebrews were spared. They weren't, they didn't, anyone who marked their house with the blood of the lamb, he put the blood of the lamb on his doorpost and lintels, the angel of death would pass over him. So we know that Christ is the lamb of God. Jesus, when he walked by John the Baptist in the beginning of the, of the gospel of John, John says, look, there is the lamb of God. And John's followers go to follow him. Some of John's followers go to follow him. And they want to know who this Lamb of God and what does this mean? Well, the Lamb in the Old Testament shed his blood. And the Lamb in the New Testament will shed his blood. And um, we have that in Hebrews, of course, we have in Hebrews 9, 1 through 11. We, we have first in Exodus, you have this where Moses is making the covenant with the people, right? And this is Exodus 24, 3 through 8. And he came to the people and he related all the words and ordinance of the Lord. This is after he's received the law from God on Mount Sinai. And the people say, all that the Lord has said, we will heed and do. And so then Moses had young men offer holocausts and he takes half the blood and puts it in large bowls and the other half he splashed on the altar. 
And then he takes the book of the covenant and he reads it out loud to the people. And then he takes the blood and sprinkles it on the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of his words. So that was the cup. That was the blood of the covenant. Now that's the blood of, of the animal blood. So then in Hebrews, we have what? Brothers and sisters, when Christ came as high priest of the good things that have come, this is Hebrews 9, 11 through 15, by passing through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, okay, he comes as the high priest passing through the more perfect tabernacle, not made by hands, that is not belonging to this creation, he entered once for all into the sanctuary, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of heifers' ashes could sanctify those who are defiled so that their flesh is cleansed, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleansing our conscience from dead works to the worship of the living, of God, the living God. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. Since a death has taken place for deliverance from transgressions under the first covenant, those who are called to receive the promise. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. Since a death has taken place for deliverance from transgressions under the first covenant, those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. So Jesus dies to grant us the eternal inheritance. Okay? Now, Jesus ties all of this together at the Last Supper, doesn't he? When he said what? They gather together. This is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He's going he's to eat the Passover with his um, disciples. And while they were eating, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and said, Take this. This is my body. And then he took the cup and gave thanks. And he said, drink of it. This is my blood of the covenant, which will be shed for many. He takes the chalice and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the covenant. So it's Christ's blood that is the blood of the covenant. And he sheds it for many, for the forgiveness of sins, right? Jesus is the lamb. And remember in the beginning of Gospel of John, as I mentioned, John the Baptist pointed Jesus out at the, as the lamb. And at the end of the Gospel of John, when Jesus is on the cross, what do we have? It was the Sabbath day, and so the scribes had asked Pilate to have the bodies taken down. So Pilate orders that the bones be broken so that the men will die of suffocation. And so they broke the bones first of the one thief and then of the other. But when they come to Jesus, they see that he's already dead. And what happens? The soldier did not break his bones, but one of the soldiers thrust his lance into his side and immediately blood and water flowed out. An eyewitness has testified and his testimony is true. He knows that he is speaking the truth so that you also may come to believe. For this happened so that the scripture passage might be fulfilled. Not a bone of it will be broken. What scripture passage is John talking about? He's talking about the preparation for the Passover, the first Passover, when the Hebrews were still slaves in Egypt. They were to take a lamb, a two-year-old male, without blemish or spot, and not a bone of it was to be broken. Christ is the new lamb. He's the new lamb. 
And then there's another passage, they will look on him whom they have pierced. And of course, the fathers of the church tell us that the blood and water that flows out from the side of Christ represent the sacramental life in the church, particularly the blood representing baptism, the water, water representing baptism, and the blood representing the Eucharist. Because Christ, in John 6, he tells us, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And then at the Last Supper, he takes bread and wine and changes them into his own body and blood. And yes, we do believe that, that he actually changes them. The bread and wine no longer exist after the consecration. Jesus is not present in the bread and the wine. That is the heresy of consubstantiation. We don't worship bread. We worship Jesus Christ. The whole substance of bread and wine are changed into the substance of the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. Why do we believe this? Because Jesus is God. And he took the bread and he said, this is my body. And the wine represents his blood because he took the chalice full of wine and he said, this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new covenant. Oh, yes, Jesus said it. That's why we believe it. And so the whole substance of bread and wine are changed into the body and blood of Jesus. And this is our salvation. The blood of Christ is what washes down upon us to make us clean. The Eucharist is the source and the summit of the Christian life. It is that from which all the other sacraments of the church flow and to which they point. Everything in the church, because it's Christ himself present among us in his risen, ascended, glorified state. And Christ pours out his precious blood upon us for the forgiveness of sins. I hear the music again. It goes so fast. There's so much. The scripture is so rich. God is speaking to us of his love. Contemplate the passion of Christ. Look at the cross. Look at the blood of Christ that he shed for us. And then just say, Jesus, let your precious blood be on me and forgive me all my sins. Be right back. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers, and I must be having a great time. They say time flies when you're having fun. I can't believe this is it. This is the last, the last uh, segment of this particular show today, Friday, July the second. Happy first Friday and happy July, month of the precious blood of Jesus. And remember, we can say precious blood. That comes from the letter of Peter. Yes, it's biblical. And so we have Hebrews 12, um, and Paul writes. You have approached Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and countless angels in festal gathering, and the assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven, and God, the judge of all, and the spirits of the just made perfect, and Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and the sprinkled blood that speaks more eloquently than the blood of Abel. Remember I mentioned the blood of Abel? It cried out for vengeance. The sprinkled blood of Jesus Christ cries out for mercy. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. And that's why we as Christians cry out for mercy for everyone, for everyone, even those who have hurt us. We cry out for mercy. And it begins by praying for those who hurt us, 
Pray for them and ask God to have mercy on them. And, you know, in the act of love, oh my God, I love you above all things with my whole heart and soul because you are all good and deserving of all my love. I love my neighbor as myself for love of you. I forgive all who have injured me and I ask pardon for all whom I have injured. Yes, we're pleading with God for those graces. I may not be loving my neighbor right now, for, as I should for the love of God and, and loving him as Jesus loved him, as Jesus commanded us. But I want to. So pray that every day and ask God. And again, I forgive. I will to forgive all those who have injured me and ask pardon for all whom I have injured. That forgiveness, remember, there's, there's two levels on which we forgive. We forgive with our will. We have to begin to forgive with our emotions also. But it takes time for the emotions to come along. Don't, don't be too violent with them. Be gentle with them and surrender them to Jesus and ask Jesus to show you how to be gentle with them. And so we have this, this blood of the lamb, this blood of Jesus, the lamb of God that asks for forgiveness on our behalf. And in the early church, St. Clement, by the way, St. Clement is 96 AD, Linus Cletus Clement, right? Um, he's one of the first popes. He writes, let us fix our gaze on the blood of Christ and realize how truly precious it is seeing that it was poured out for our salvation and brought the grace of conversion to the whole world. Conversion. If we will meditate on the passion of Christ, it will bring us to repentance. Meditate on the passion of Christ. Ask the Lord to bring you to repentance. The precious blood of our Lord, ask it to fall down upon us, to, to wash us clean in his own blood, right? And there's a couple more passages. We have Revelation, I read that one already, Revelation 5, you redeemed us, Lord, by your blood from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So Jesus has redeemed us. It is Jesus Christ who has redeemed us. And um, we have, again, in Revelations, Jesus is clearly identified as the lamb. If you read Revelation 5, you have the lion of the tribe of Judah, John gets to see. John, the evangelist, <laughs> as he, he's the writer of the, the book of Revelation. And he turns around to look and he doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb, a lamb that's standing and has been slain, right? And so in Revelation um, not, 7, 7, 9 through 14, we read, John sees a great crowd of people all dressed in white. And he, he's asking the angel, who are these people? Well, at first the angel asks him, who are these people? And John's, I don't know. You're the one who should know. And so the angel says to him, these are the ones who have survived the time of great distress. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. And in Revelation 12, we have that great sign that appears in the sky, the woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet, and then the huge red dragon all flaming red. And the devil, after this woman gives birth to a male child, and the male child's caught up to heaven, so he can't touch the male child, he goes in pursuit of the woman. But the woman also, is he's not allowed to get near. The, the devil was, and this is you know a sign, the devil was never allowed to tempt the Blessed Virgin Mary. She was the mother of God, and God preserved her for the call for which he had given her. And so what does he do? He goes off to make war on the rest of her children, all of those who keep the commandments of God and bear witness to Christ. 
Okay? But it says in the book of Revelation, in, in Revelation 12, see if I can remember this passage here. Um, oh, I know. The devil is cast out of heaven. After he, he, he's cast out of heaven, okay, after the child is caught up to heaven, and then um, there's this great song breaks out in heaven, okay? And it's in Revelation 12 here, and we'll read this. Um, and it says, um, Michael defeats the dragon. And then it says, now have salvation and power come. The kingdom of our God and the authority of the Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren is thrown down who accuses them night and day before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So it is by the blood of the lamb that we conquer our enemies. The world, the flesh and the devil. The blood of the lamb is what helps us to conquer. And we have to bear witness to that. We, t we testify to that. So rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell therein. Okay? So the, the devil is making war on us. He wants us to fall. But Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. He's the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. He loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. Meditate on our Lord's precious blood. Look at the cross. If you're afraid to approach the Lord, get a crucifix. Not a gilded crucifix. Get a crucifix that shows what Christ suffered. He's not saying, oh, you horrible, awful person, look what you did to me. He's saying, I love you this much. I love you this much. The Lamb of God, he knew why he was coming. The Son of God, when he became man, he knew exactly what his mission was. He knew what the end of the story was. It's triumph. And I heard someone talking about it the other day, and they're like, what did it look like on Calvary? It looked like Jesus was utterly defeated. End of story. He's gone. The apostles had seen him work miracles. They'd seen him raise the dead. They'd seen him walk on water. They'd seen him multiply loaves and fishes. They'd seen him walk through crowds or disappear in the temple when people were going to throw him off the hill or stone him to death. Several times, maybe multiple times, there's at least three times recorded in the gospel. And each time he just, because his hour has not yet come. But he came for that hour, that hour when he would shed every single drop of his precious blood and every drop cries out father forgive them they do not know what they do and it cries out to us turn to me and ask for mercy i love you i love you enough to die for you and not just to die for you you know get there shoot me done it's done with i'm over no he was whipped he was crowned with thorns and he hung on the cross for three hours First, he shed blood in the garden. He was in so much agony in the garden. And doctors talk about this. It takes an incredible amount of agony, but can happen. Where if you're in so much agony, all the capillaries under your skin burst and the blood comes out through your pores. He sweat blood in the garden. And if this actually happens, if you ever have this happen to you, if someone touches you after it happens, it's extremely painful because your whole body is bruised from all the capillaries broke, breaking. 
And Christ shed blood in the garden. And after having shed blood in the garden, he's mistreated and slapped in the face, spit upon, whipped beyond survival. Remember, he's not a Roman. They didn't have to stop. He's condemned to death anyway. They wouldn't have, he wasn't condemned to death yet. But as far as the soldiers were concerned, the Romans couldn't whip anyone who wasn't condemned to death. So it didn't matter that Pilate said, well, I'll chastise him a little and I'll release him. The soldiers, they, they could kill him there at the pillar. It doesn't matter. And the cat of nine tails. You, no, it's not in the scriptures. But it says Pilate ordered him to be scourged. This isn't a Jewish whipping. You know where it's 30, 40 lashes less one. This is a Roman scourging. Look up how Romans scourged people. He shed his precious blood. He shed his precious blood. His blood is flowing from his wounds. And then they crown him with thorns. And then they put a crossbeam, the crossbeam of the cross, of the tree that he's going on, to die on, they put on his shoulders. And Jesus knew all of this ahead of time. And with every drop, with every pulsation of his pulsating systems, with every beat of his heart, with every breath that he struggles to take, he's saying, I love you, Father, forgive them. I love them, Father. Forgive them. Father, forgive them. I came that they may have life and have it to the full. Do not hold this sin against them. The blood of Christ cries out for our redemption, for our reconciliation with God. It cries out to restore us to friendship with him, to pay the price that we owed. We owed a debt we couldn't pay, so he paid a price he didn't. He paid a debt he didn't owe. Yes, his blood purchased for us eternal life. But are we willing to accept it? Will we cry out, Jesus, mercy, Jesus, mercy. Blood and water flowing from the heart of Jesus have mercy upon us. Blood and water flowing from the heart of Jesus have mercy on us. Father, let the precious blood of your son be on us for mercy. Jesus, may your precious blood be on us for protection and strengthening, for protection against sin, for strengthening against temptation, for strengthening in trials, to persevere in faith, hope, and charity, and for conversion and mercy. Jesus came to save us. He came to have mercy on us. And his precious blood cries out to the Father, mercy, mercy, mercy. Let us join our cry to his and beg him for mercy and beg that his precious blood would be upon us. Father, let the precious blood of your son be on us for mercy. Jesus, may your precious blood be on us for protection and strengthening, for conversion and mercy. O blood and water which gush forth from the heart of Jesus, have mercy upon us. I sure enjoyed our time together. Like this program and share it if you enjoyed it. Invite your friends to join in on the Bible with the Barbers. Thank you for joining us on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you for your support, financial, spiritual, and, and all of the support you give us through your sufferings and your prayers. Thank you. And we'll be back next week, I hope, on Bible with the Barbers. See you then.